0: you can th- you think I should be making. Uh, just um, this at What's that? Oh, right. Okay, we have a home fellowship on Friday nights. and uh, also uh, we'll pray about this later, but we're going to be have the children's Vacation Bible School admission Maine the last week of July be praying for that. If you're still interested in participating, speak to Misty. And if you park downstairs, there are free tokens in the back uh, after the service. Okay, First Samuel or Second Samuel, chapter one. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for uh, Lord, just a a time to come in and. Uh, embrace your word, Lord God. And Lord, we want to be doers of your word. We don't uh, just want to hear your word. We want to be doers of your word, Lord God. And Lord, we need your grace Uh, to be the people who are doers of your word, Lord God, and uh, we pray that uh, not only for the wisdom this evening to understand uh, this word, Lord, we also pray, Father, for just the grace to go out and be uh, the people that you're calling us to be through your word. Father, I just pray this evening, if there's uh, anyone here, Lord God, that... Uh, Lord uh, needs uh, encouragement, Lord, that you would encourage them, Lord, if they need uh, Lord a swift rebuke, I just pray that that is done in their heart, Lord, if they need uh, uh, if they need just an, an exhortation, Lord God, or just a, a word of kindness, Lord God, we pray that they would uh, receive it from you this evening, Lord, and I just pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. So 2 Samuel chapter 1, going through uh, the Old Testament, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We have come to a new book, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass, after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag, on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his dead, his son, are dead also. And so... Uh, we come to, we're about to enter into a brand new phase in the life of uh, David, and uh, he has had quite uh, a ten years uh, prior to this point. He uh, had uh, been raised up from obscurity as a shepherd uh, and found himself, after defeating Goliath. Uh, at the king's table, married to the king's daughter, commander of the uh, king's uh, battalion of a 1,000 soldiers at a, at a very young age. He was probably about 20. Uh, but then uh, when, uh, King Saul uh, began to envy what the Lord was doing uh, in his life. And uh, pretty soon uh, Saul was uh, chasing after him, Uh, looking to kill him, killing others who were sort of getting in between uh, him and David, uh, slaughtering a a whole city at one time. And this went on for eight to ten years. Every day, Saul chasing after David, who was living in nooks and crannies and caves in the wilderness. And uh, After a while, we read in 1 Samuel 27, verse 1, David just got sick of it. He got sick of the place that God had him in. He was sick of the trial. He was sick of fighting. He was sick of it. And so he left Israel. He went to live in the land of Philistines, uh, amongst some of the most uh, pagan, uh, worst, uh, violent, sexual uh, amor- temple worship that existed in the world. He, he, he lived right in the midst of it. He decided he'd rather have uh, be next to that uh, than be sort of in the trial, in the Job-like trial that God had him in. And within a few months, uh, you see from that chapter, chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, he began to live a life of deception. And, uh, and uh, pretty soon, Uh, By the end of that chapter, we see him doing the unthinkable, David, lining up in battle against Israel. An amazing thing of the spiral of sin, how soon uh, it it takes, how quickly that someone can go from just flirting with sin to completely opposing uh, God and his word. And so David lines up uh, against Israel who was about to fight the Philistines, he f- lines up with the Philistines, uh, and miraculously, God removes them him from the battle. He comes uh, from that battle, and uh, he... Uh, comes back to the city that he was dwelling in, Ziklag, and lo and behold, what happens? His entire city is burned down. His wives have been stolen from him. The families of his... uh, his fellow soldiers, the, the 600 mighty men that went around with David, families all taken away. Uh, all his possessions uh, are sh- either stolen or they've been burnt to the ground. One of the most, uh, one of the greatest pictures in the whole Bible. Of where sin will take you, of where the devil will take you, and all in, in the you know it 's very, very tempting uh, at the beginning when when the devil Satan uh, tempts us into um, a life apart from god 's word but in the end uh, Ziklag in in, in uh, smolders is is the picture so David goes back to Ziklag uh, everyone was mourning and weeping over everything that they had lost and then and then it says the men turned on David and they were about to stone him and then one of the most glorious things it says that David turned to God it's amazing what it takes sometimes to get us out of the fog of disobedience and get us to turn around and start looking for God again. This week I was visiting a man in, in the hospital who, uh, he just in the last month, uh, he had uh, two near-death experiences. One, uh, a guy right next to him had his brains blew out by a gun. And, and within a few weeks, he was on I-93, and he was hit from behind while he was riding his motorcycle. And um, he's severely injured, has been in the hospital for two weeks, probably is going to be there a lot longer. And he just turned to me and he asked me, you know, um, I, I'm in the, in, in the middle of a, of a divorce. I'm, I'm leaving my family. Do you think all this is happening? Because God wants me to go back. And I, and I told him, look, you know, God put, puts mail in your mailbox, not mine. But I can tell you that if you're leaving your family uh, and and you're getting a divorce and, and the divorce is not a biblical one. In other words, there's very narrow circumstances in which you can get a divorce in the Bible. I said, there's a very, very, very good possibility that God, in his mercy... Has, has put you in this place. And, and so it's amazing the, sometimes what has to happen uh, in our lives uh, to take us uh, out of the fog of, of disobedience. And so uh, David turned to the Lord. Uh, the Lord answered and said, Go, uh, get the Amalekites. The Amalekites had been the ones to come into this city and burn it to the ground, stole his wives and all his possessions. They went after the Amalekites, recovered every single thing uh, that was taken away everything. And that's where we uh, arrive here in chapter 1 of, of uh, Second Samuel, and it says uh, there in, in verse 2, it says, on the third day, it says, it's actually in verse 1, it says again, now it came to pass after the death of Samuel when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag, on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from saul 's camp went on to tell David that saul had uh, had been killed in battle. I mean, you talk about the mercy of god I, I, I mean if you are struggling because of some moral fa- or other failure in your life, some that you 've done to let god down take a take a good read at this story i mean you 're talking about a guy who had David had lined up against to, to fight the army of Israel, if he had gone into battle, he would have been fighting Saul in this very battle that F- Saul and Jonathan lost their lives in. He would have been fighting, may have been responsible for his death. But God rescues him from it. Although you know David in the process loses all his possessions, he recovers everything. And then within three days, there's nothing between him the throne of Israel. Nothing, because Saul has been killed. Jonathan has been killed. Incredible mercy, merciful God that we worship. Incredible mer- It's in his character. The Bible says that God can't help but be merciful when a person is calling out to him in a spirit of repentance no matter what kind of mess they've got themselves in. Because he's a God of mercy. He's a God of mercy. Uh, uh, and so uh he uh you know i i was thinking uh you know when i was reading about this how how david would have lost his testimony in such a big way uh, if he had gone into into battle and, and fought israel and maybe even participated in the death of saul remember how twice he had been Right next to Saul in a cave one time uh, and another time at night while Saul was sleeping. And each time he, I guess he ripped a part of his robe off one time. And the next time he took his spear and uh, went up to a mountaintop and called out to him and said, Look, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And that was just one of the most outstanding acts of Christ-like courage and respect for the authority of God. You'll see in the entire Bible how he would have lost that entire testimony if God had let him go into that battle. And and so it was just such a, a merciful act of God uh, that God did uh, pull him out. So verse 5, uh, of uh, so David finds out that um, Saul is dead, and he says in verse 5, So David said to the young man uh, who told him, How do you know that, that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come over me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. must have been a shock to this Amalekite who was showing up with these trophies, uh, you know, Saul's uh, crown, and uh, what else did he take? His his spear here, there, and um, his bracelet, his crown, and his bra- bracelet must have been a shock, and he must have wondered, "Oh no, what's going to happen?" When all of a sudden, everyone starts to weep when they hear uh, Saul. Uh, w- when all the people heard his news that Saul had died, and 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 you know, I, as I was uh, reading this part of uh, Second Samuel chapter one, I was thinking to myself, you know. Israel was raised up by God to be a light to the nations, and at the time that Israel uh, you know Abraham sort of was called out, uh, Israel was on equal plane with every other nation. the world at that time was just uh, just purely about violence it was purely about betrayal it was purely about treachery about Just everyone, each to his own self, lusting after the lust of of their flesh. That is it. And it was in that environment that Israel is raised up. It's raised up. And so, you know, when this Amalekite came into the camp of Israel, he probably never imagined that there would be a people on the face of this earth, or the earth that he was on at the time, uh, that would have done anything but rejoice at the noose. And that is because at that time, it was all about dog eat dog. You know, it was all about, you know, uh, everyone trying to, it was just, Like you see in some of the governments of the world, it was a coup after a coup after a coup. You know, Uh, uh, one government is overthrown, the next one. And it's all about, you know, as soon as one gets in power, the the people who left power, they're all killed. and, and, And it was just such a dog eat dog world. Never in his wild dreams would he have realized that the news that he was carrying would be met with horror. He didn't realize or understand that there was a people who was being raised up by the living God. Above the violence of the world, above the treachery, above the dog-eat-dog, above the lust of the flesh, in a place where uh, someone like Saul, although he was a man filled with faults and moral failures, uh, that he would be forgiven. (laughs) Uh, even though the the, uh, the man was seeking to kill David and the people who were with David, he would be forgiven, he would be honored and and, um, the, and news of his death would be met with a horror and and you know that 's what God does with his people he raises raises them uh, morally uh, spiritually ethically over the wickedness, above the wickedness and evil of the of the world. And, and God will raise you up into a godly, into a humble, into a kind, uh, forgiving, faithful human being, uh, even though everywhere around you the world be, may be getting more wicked, more violent, more immoral, more amoral. God will raise you up into a godly, man or woman. That's what he does. He raises a people to be a light to the nations. And so this Amalekite finds out uh, the very, very hard way uh, that uh, he's run into uh, a very different uh, group of people. It says in verse 12, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul. For Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? He answered, I am a son of an alien, an Amalekite. And so David said to him, How is it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him, and that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So much for uh, the morality of assisted suicide. Actually, it's a real immoral thing, and it's something that uh, if we're the salt of the earth, uh, we should be uh, crying out uh, to not allow that to become legal in this country. Assisted suicide is not not a good thing. Remember, Saul had tr- tried to kill himself. He failed, and so he asked the Amalekite uh, to finish the job. Verse 17, then David lamented with his, this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. Verse 19, the beauty of Israel's is slain on your high places. How, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you. No fields of offering for the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. And the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. In their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O oh, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury. Who put ornaments of gold on your apparel, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle, Jonathan was slain in in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women, how the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished and so Uh, This is sort of a continuation of what I'm talking about. Here you have David. This is an opportunity to expose or to sort of really uh, raise up uh, before everyone sort of the wickedness of Saul. I mean, David knows that he's going to become king. So why not just let everyone know what a horrible guy Saul is in order that Saul would be put down so he can just be ushered in and be king? He doesn't do that. That's not what a Christian does. David sees the good in people. David sees the good in people. Now I know that sometimes you hear that expression, "Oh, you got to see the good in people." And what some people uh, mean when they say that is, "Well, you know, ignore the evil that they're doing, uh, even if it means that they're injuring everyone around them." Well, that's that's you know obviously a bad thing. But a Christian, a believer in Christ. Sees the good in people. First Corinthians 13 says, love believes all things. In other words, it, it it looks at a person and it believes and sees what God, what Jesus Christ can do in their lives. And and and, and so a Christian does not have to have, uh, must not have a critical spirit in others. A Christian sees the good in people that others don't see. I want to share with you a verse. Please turn to all the way to 2 Peter uh, chapter. Two verses ten and eleven I was just reading this this morning. Now Second Peter chapter two, remember that? Ooh, that's a bad bad chapter. You know when you hear Second Peter chapter two, what do you do? Uh, right. Ugh. I mean, the whole chapter is, is just about wickedness and false prophets and, 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 and just really uh, terrible people. It's when uh, the Apostle Peter is talking about uh, uh, false process, prophets and, and destructive heresies uh, being brought uh, into uh, the church. And he's talking about these people. Verse 12 says, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will be utterly perish in their own corruption. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that uh, cannot cease from sin, uh, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. These are some bad dudes. Okay, these are some wicked, wicked people, right? And, and I want you to notice something that that uh, uh, the Apostle Peter says about these guys. Uh, go back to um, go back to verse ten, okay, in Second Peter chapter two, verse ten. In the middle of the verse, it starts out: "They are presumptuous, self-willed." They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Now, dignitaries is like either it's it's either a heavenly being like an angel or maybe it's uh, the authorities that God have put into to place. It says these people are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. And then listen to this in verse 11. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Now, is this just me, or is that an incredible verse? I mean, we're talking about some of the most wicked, evil people described in all the Bible, and this says that angels will not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. I mean, if that is not a, I don't know, that's a rebuke to my heart when I read this. Because here, even though these people are clearly wicked, evil, it it, it, you know it, it says that you know the angels in heaven don't even bring an accusation against these people. That's how serious God is about criticizing another when there's not a purpose, a godly purpose. For doing so, speaking evil um, um, of another person. Uh, turn just back to uh, the book of James a couple of chapters back in, in, in James four eleven. James 4, 11, the book right before 1 Peter. James four eleven. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And and so, um, very clear there that that just speaking evil. And so oftentimes I hear Christians speaking evil about another Christian and justifying what they're saying because well everything I'm saying is true. Well, the, 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 the Second Peter chapter two says the angels in heaven won't speak evil about someone even when. They're the most wicked people in the world, and, that's a, and it's true that they are. And, and so, you know, there are times when, of course, we have to recognize what, you know, some sin that a person is in or whatever. Uh, if for some reason, I don't know, they're going through church discipline or something like that. But as a general rule, we should not be speaking against people who are made in the image of God. The angels in heaven refuse to do so, even when it involves the most wicked people in the world. And so that is what you see back in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 1, where David has the opportunity to bring, to, to revile, to criticize Saul. I mean, let's face it. Saul had a murderous heart. He he was jealous. He was envious. He, he killed people, and, and uh, he disobeyed God. He never waited on the Lord there would have been every single reason for David to to take out a megaphone and say, "Okay, now let me tell you about this guy who tried to kill me for ten years for no reason. No, he saw the good at, uh, good in him." Interesting verse in uh, verse twenty four. It says, "O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel." The fact of the matter was, Israel prospered. There was war during Saul's reign, but they prospered greatly uh, during Saul during, uh, because of the security uh, that he brought the uh, country. And then he talks about the love he had for Jonathan. It says in verse 26, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Now, I I, kind of joke about this sometimes, you know, David didn't, know really a whole lot about the love uh, of love of women considering he had so many wives and concubines and I'm sure he had a very dysfunctional view of uh, in relationship with the women he was in but but here uh, it, with Jonathan he had experienced real love a person who was willing to uh, die for him, a person who was willing to. He, Jonathan was in the, the, the line to be the king because his father Saul uh, was the king. But nevertheless, he recognized that David was the one who had been chosen by God and, and uh, a, a wonderful man of God. And so uh, David uh, sees the good in Jonathan and, uh, and Saul. And so, you know, The key here is that the storm that David had been in for so long, that had gone on for 10 years, just the enormous difficulty that he had been in just terrible this day after day he'd been living in caves then the people who lived in the community would go tell Saul hey David's here Saul would come and he'd have to run to a new place lived under the rain lived under the elements out on uh, on the elements for 10 years uh, trying to support a family in the midst of all of that Uh, the storm had finally broken the Bible says for everything there's a season a time for every person under heaven God establishes a season for a purpose Listen, once that purpose has been fulfilled, the season will pass. And and so sometimes you are in a season that is tremendously difficult. And you're in that season for a long, long, long time. You know, let the the word of God that we just read this morning speak to your heart. The season eventually will break. It will when, when God establishes his purpose in the season was it easy for David no was it excruciatingly difficult uh, yes it was and and at a time uh, that David least expected it at time that he least deserved it the storm broke and the light came through and and all of a sudden it was gone the storm broke the clouds were all gone. It was just nothing. But there's nothing between David and the throne of Israel. The man who had been pursuing his life for ten years was dead. Uh, his sons were dead. And, and here, you know, the, 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 the trial, this one at least, was over. Uh, and it's so important, the concept of waiting on God. And we saw that book in the back. Someone bought it this morning. Someone came to the church, saw that title. Wow. Uh, waiting on god and they bought i highly recommend it because what we don't want to do is stop waiting on god while he we're in that season that's very difficult and run off and do our own thing we need to wait on god turn uh, with me to psalm 130 psalm 130 middle of the bible Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. I love that verse. It's talking about... When it says talking about those who watch for the morning, it's talking about the shepherds in the night who just can't wait till morning comes have you ever been in, in some situation where you're out and you just can't wait until the morning comes I, I, I've read stories about soldiers in battle and the night and and, and and you know they're or they're in Vietnam or something and and, and you know the, the enemy's just taking pot shots at them and they don't know what to do because it's night and they just want morning to come so bad. You know what what you know what's what's the problem many times with the night? It's it's cold. <laughs> it's very lonely. It, it's it can be very dangerous. Certainly it was for a shepherd with wolves, certainly it is for a man of war. Very dangerous. It can be depressing. The night has a way of just really Messing with people's minds sometimes it gets a fearful time, it can be a discouraging time it can be, so there can be filled with fear, and that is how so often a season will be that God has the sin it's cold it's lonely it's dangerous it's depressing it's discouraging uh, it's frightening, uh, but the Bible says, "Wait for the Lord, my soul wait, and in his word, I do hope, my soul wait for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, yes more than those who watch for the morning. For every season, for every man, there's, you know, there's a time to, to, to go through a particular trial, but the season will end and the storm will break and all of a sudden there will just be light and mercy just opening up even as the, uh, the sun comes through the clouds. And so that's what happened to David all of a sudden this 10-year incredible trial that he was in uh, ends. And so what does David do? Now, the easiest thing in the world is for David just to crown himself king and say, okay, now everyone come to me. Uh, Saul is dead. There's a power vacuum. Why not march into Saul's pot palace uh, and proclaim himself king? But the wonderful thing about the next few chapters we'll see about when David's actually anointed, he always waits on God's timing. He always waits on it. He never forces God's hand. I've just learned that the hard way in my life, (laughs) that I can't lay hold of God's purpose for me. You know, many times God will speak to us about something he wants us to do. What do we do? We go out and do it before his time. And we can't let that happen. And, and we'll see, just a wonderful example of, of David. He doesn't just run into Saul's palace and proclaim himself king. The first thing he does is, it says, verse 1 in chapter 2, it says, It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said, Go up. So it doesn't matter how obvious. It may seem to you that you need to do this thing or that thing doesn't matter how obvious it may seem. You need to pray about it. You need to pray about it. Because believe it or not, sometimes what's, what may be obvious uh, to the world is not really what God wants you to do. You need to pray about it. But, but here the Lord says, go up. And, and David sa- said, uh, where shall I go? And he said, to Hebron. To Hebron. Uh, So David went up there, and his his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his, his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. you see what happened? They came to him. He didn't have to go into Saul's palace or or he didn't have to go into Hebron and put the crown on his head. The the men of Judah actually came to him and put the crown crown on his head. How wonderful it is uh, that when we wait on the Lord, because then when when whatever God wants to do in our life happens, we know for a fact it was him because it wasn't us doing it. So here it wasn't David doing it. Uh, The men of Judah came and anointed him king. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord to Saul and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth uh, to you. I also will repay you this kindness, because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead. And also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Now, you may uh, ask here in verse 4, why was it that the men of Judah came and uh, had to anoint David king over the house of Judah? I mean, he had been anointed, right? Samuel had come and had poured oil over his head 10 years earlier and made him king over the Israel. Why does he have to be anointed again? Well, guess what? Every new season of our life, we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Are you entering into some new season? You go to God and ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You have a new job? Ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You have a new relationship? Ask for a, f- a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. A new ministry that you, or, or, or thing you're doing for the Lord? Ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. So David here is... Um, just uh, getting that fresh filling, that fresh installment uh, from the Holy Spirit of power uh, in order to do what God uh, wants him to do. Now, you may ask, well, interesting, uh, it says the men of Judah has anointed him king. Well, what about the rest of Israel? What about the rest of Israel? There are 11 other tribes. Well, actually, it was seven and a half years Uh, before David was made king over all Israel. And uh, what you see in the uh, ensuing verses is one of those classic examples of a person and a people just fighting God. We hear that expression, you know, you hear that expression, oh, you uh, you know, he's fighting God. And when you and I, when we fight God, we are pursuing a course in our life which we know is not the Lord, but we push on knowing. Even though we know we're never going to win, we we just keep on going. That's, That's what fighting God is like. And from this point out, those 11 other tribes, they're just fighting God. And it becomes just amazingly evident uh, as you read through these verses, it says in verse eight, but Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim, and he made him king over Gilead, over the uh, Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and all Israel. And, uh, and so a uh, really interesting thing here, this guy Abner, remember who he was? Abner was Saul's bodyguard, and he was the head of Saul's army. And he was the guy who, if you remember, when David came into the camp at night, and he could have slain Saul because everyone was sleeping. When he took Saul's spear up to the mountainside, remember he called out, and he said, Saul, Saul, and everyone in the camp woke up. And, oh, here's David, you know, because, look, I just took your spear. And then at that point, uh, David started chiding Abner, you know, really good body god you are, Abner, you know. I just went right in, and I could have killed your master. Nice job. And, and, you know, that was probably a failure of David's, right? Because here now he's got to pay. He's got to pay for the fact that he didn't handle Abner in a very godly way that day. And so what does Abner do? Abner, uh, even though, as we will find, knew, knows full well, That the kingdom is going to go to David. He sets up this sort of puppet king. Uh, One of Saul's sons who's a very, very weak, spineless uh, man. He sets him up, and it's interesting where he sets him up there in verse 8 in this place called Mahanaim, which is on the other side of the Jordan. It's on the east of the Jordan. It's like away from the danger. I mean, this guy, uh Ish-bosheth, he was not a man of courage. I mean, he takes him over to just sort of protect him and make sure he's out of the way so no one has to pay much attention to him. He's over on the other side of the Jordan, uh, on the east side of the Jordan. And so it says um, here that uh, uh, this guy, Ishbosheth is is... Uh, is crowned king. And then in verses 12 through uh, 32, you see this, I'm, I'm not going to read through it, but you see this story about uh, the a- Abner servants and Joab servants. Remember, Joab was uh, the the commander of all David's army. Abner was the commander of all, uh, you could say, Ishbosheth's army. And they uh, got into a fight and uh, Joab winds up killing, or Abner winds up killing Joab's brother, and that we're gonna that that's gonna sort of play out at a later time because Joab would certainly, being the guy he was, was not gonna forget that. He was not gonna forget that. And then uh, we come to uh, verse one of chapter three. It says, "Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger." And the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Then go down to verse 6. Now it was so, while there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthened his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rishpa, the daughter of Aa. So ish uh, said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? So ish uh, confronts Abner uh, for going into one of saul 's concubines, which was a you know an, a very dishonorable thing to do, defiling really his, his household verse eight says then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth, and said, "Am I a dog 's head that belongs to Judah?" Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul your father, to his brothers, to his friends, and have have not delivered you into the hand of David, and you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman. May God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. See, he knew, Abner knew that David was going to get the kingdom. So it says... Uh, Again, in verse 9, may God do so to Abner and more also to uh, more also, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah. Amazing that Abner knows that. He knew that uh, the kingdom was David, but for seven and a half years, he carried on fighting the purposes of God, and, and how often uh, we do that in our life, where there's some course of action. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's, uh, you know, something uh, that we're supposed to be doing, like something the Lord wants us to do, a service or some ministry that we're just Fighting him by by not doing what he wants, and we go on for years and years. Here, Abner, it says right here, he's telling the, the Ishbetheth. He's telling, he's saying, the Lord has already anointed David. He knew, but yet he carried on for seven and a half years fighting God. We do that all the time. You know, if you're here, if you're here the, uh, this evening, and there's something that you're doing in your life to 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 fight God. Give up. You're not going to win. You will never, 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 never win a, a fight against God. Ever. And, 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 and you know something? It's because God loves you. It's because he cares for you. He wants to bless you. He, he, he wants to nurture you in his love and kindness. But he, he can't. He, he's not about to allow you to succeed in something that is just going to destroy your life. If you're fighting with God. In any area of your life, give up, quit, you're not going to win. And so we we learn this from Abner. So what does Abner do? Uh, Verse 12, he uh, he says he sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is this land? Saying, Also, make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring um, all Israel. And then it says in verse 21, Then Abner said to David, I will rise and go, gather all Israel to my Lord the king, that he may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. He went in peace. So now, uh, you know, you see David waiting on the Lord. All Israel is gathering to him. Uh, People, you know... Stop fighting God, and, and they realize that, look, it's only a matter of time to this guy, uh, David, this man, David, is going to be ruled. Over the next verses, verses 22 through 30, Joab winds up killing Abner, which really is an act of revenge. It's not something that David was happy about at all. In verse thirty-one, uh, David orders Joab to tear his clothes and get in sackcloth and mourn. And 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 so uh, again, you see this uh, thing where where David publicly uh, mourns over Abner. He mourns over him. It was a treacherous thing that that Joab did. He sort of tricked uh, you know Abner and wound up uh, killing him. In chapter four, Ishbosheth ish Ish is murdered. Now, once Abner is gone, ishbosheth you could say he's dead meat. I mean, you know, he's got no one to protect him at this point. uh, And he's murdered. But he is also murdered by a bunch of guys who treacherously kill him. So David executes those people. Really violent time, you know. Uh, But anyway, David doesn't like that. He doesn't like the purposes of God being advanced in an ungodly way. And so he punishes the people who kill Ishbosheth. But then it says in chapter 5, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. What does that mean? Well, they're all Jews. They're all Israelites. They're all uh, people who uh, descended from Jacob. I, and, and so they uh, they say to him, indeed, uh, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought uh, them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. So here's all these people. They had been fighting God. They knew the purposes of God, and they'd just been fighting it. Finally, uh, the most wonderful, uh, glorious thing in your life is when you quit Fighting God, you know ultimately, when does that happen? The most ultimate time is when you come and you give your life to Jesus Christ uh, you, your whole life. You have been fighting. No, I don't want to go on this altar call. I don't want to get, make uh, Jesus Lord and Savior of my life. And, and But but the glorious day that comes when you just give up fighting God and you just come. And that's sort of what's going on here in a way. Uh, you have all these people uh, who say uh, uh, to David, says, Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at, at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Another anointing, another fresh fill of the Holy Spirit. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 30 years. So in in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And so uh, it did seem like for a while in 1 Samuel that this awful, terrible, difficult trial that david was in was just never going to end and you know it seems like that in a trial doesn't it it just seems like it's never going to end a bad relationship a bad uh a horrible situation at work or or a conflict in a church whatever it seems sometimes when you're in it, it's like it's never going to end but you know uh it is <laughs> uh, it, it it does end the season will end and uh here you have uh, david uh, finally, being anointed over Israel, he had been told uh, that he was king over Israel ten years before, but God had a lot of work that he, he wanted to do uh, in david 's life uh, before uh, that actually coming to fruition, and, and God does the same thing in your life and in my life uh, too. He has a call He puts a call in our life, but he 's got a lot of work to do in our hearts uh, before that call. Uh, comes to life, comes to fruition. So anyway, we'll continue uh, next time uh, in Second uh, Samuel chapter four. Uh, if you would like to, uh, we're going to be coming back in ten minutes to pray. Uh, if you'd like to go home and s- get your beauty sleep, God bless you. Please don't hesitate, go. But if you'd like to uh, uh, pray with us, we're going to. I want to pray about two things. One, the situation in Israel. Uh, It's a big, gigantic mess there, and as God's people, we're supposed to be praying for the peace of Israel. So uh, let's pray for Israel and everything that's going on there. It's a very uh, uh, explosive situation, uh, literally. The second thing I want to pray for is pray for this uh, missions group that's coming in, and we're partnering with them to... uh, to do a vacation Bible school for kids the last week of July, the open-air campaigners, like each, each prayer group uh, that comes in, the guys over here, the women over here, uh, in 10 minutes to pray for that. Pray for good weather that week because what happens is that uh, the, the, this youth group and the folks just go out into the projects and they just right then and there ask them to, you know, in a half an hour we're meeting and we're having a Bible study, please come out, and they do it in the open air. And and so we need, you know, our God is the God of Elijah, and, and he he can hold up the rain uh, if we pray and call out to him. and uh, the book of James, it says that Elijah was uh, a man just like us with like passion, so pray that it doesn't rain uh, that week. And, and just that God would prepare the hearts of, of the kids in the city, such an incredible need in the city uh, for uh, the kids to, to get to know that, that God loves them. That Jesus died for him. So, if we can remember those two things and anything else you may have on your heart uh, to pray for. Okay, God bless you. You are dismissed.